This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. Chandro Tar and Sandy Clough on my left. We'll have an opportunity to be joined later in the program by Taylor Kilgore, Fox 31, to join us. Host of Colorado Sports Night. Sneak peek. Uh, we'll trade spots. I will hop on with them tonight over at uh, Fox 31 or Channel 2. For that program, but we start, Sandy, with the Denver Broncos, who, after moving on from Randy Gregory and, to a lesser extent, is saying Bassey. The idea of what the Broncos are doing in the wider view, I think, is the intriguing story. Because we we look at the Gregory contract, and we understood that, for the most part, it was a two-year deal. Yes, you're at five years, $70 million. We'll be here that all the time. You know, Patrick Holmes is a $400 million deal. Yeah. He's not getting $400 million out of it. It's the NFL. It's not how those well, things it's, work. It's already been restructured. Right. And so these, these things don't really work that way. Now, in Gregory's case, the vast majority of the money uh, came through this year in his second Guaranteed year. money. Guaranteed money. Yeah. Basically, what happens next year, for uh, the easiest explanation, is because you have a signing bonus, uh, that gets spread out. So the remainder of what basically is his it's signing a small bonus, amount of guaranteed money remains. Right, six million of the signing bonus. The Broncos owe him in cash. That's chicken. Uh, Three hundred thousand of a restructure bonus they owe him in cash, which means the dead cap it'll be six point three million for the Broncos ownership. That's irrelevant. Does it matter on the salary cap? Yes, but not those. Very much. The truthfully, not those things much. are almost bookkeeping concerns no. for NFL teams. I made the point yesterday, and I'm. Uh, I go back a ways, as you know. And one of the frequently expressed points that Dan Reeves always used to make, and this is back 42 years ago when he first became the head coach of the Broncos. And the one that sticks with me most is the idea that it is a young man's game. And if you are in your 30s and not starting, there is no reason for you to be on the football team. And that was true 42 years ago. And for all the changes in the game, financial and otherwise, that have developed since, that is still a maxim that holds. And it should have been a tip-off for us when Randy Gregory, played only 46% of the snaps on Sunday yeah. and was benched in favor of Nick Benito, who started the game. That should have been a tip-off that Gregory was in trouble. Uh, Isang Bassey played seven snaps. Jaquan McMillan played 43 snaps. That also should have been a tip-off, but 
it was obviously not something we focused on Monday, given, uh, I suppose, both the nature of the Bronco comeback and their continuing dysfunction on the defensive side of the ball, which extended well beyond the playing time that Randy Gregory was getting or not getting, that Isang Bassey was getting or not getting. But it is still true. And the Broncos, as you've pointed out and documented, are not a young team per se. Now, Gregory will be 31 in six weeks, approximately. Bassey is 25. So this idea that the Broncos are engaged in a full-scale youth movement, right? Uh, by virtue of those two moves, no. Uh, it, that doesn't go far enough. But as was discussed at length with uh, our friend Chris Thomason of Denver Gazette yesterday, uh, to me and to him, by the way, these are the first of many moves to come. Now, they won't necessarily take the form of players being waived or released. They could come through trades. I think almost any trade, and I say almost, not any trade, but almost any trade is conceivable. And the Broncos still need draft picks. I mean, you you let go of Bassey, you get nothing. You let go of Gregory, you get nothing back. They still need draft picks. They still do not have a second round pick. There was an effort pick, to though trade Gregory, though obvi- well, obviously yeah, yeah, you weren't going to yeah, get anything. Of course, nobody not. was going to seriously of engage in that. Not. They they realized that if you're already of offering him in trade, you'll probably let him go if you really were interested. Right? He's a cancer, and you more emphatically than did I uh, knocked the move when it was first made. Yeah, I didn't like that my signing. point was that. If not all, then a vast majority of the guaranteed money would be paid out over the first two years, essentially a two-year contract. And actually, he got off to a good start last year after rehabbing his shoulder throughout the course of the offseason, limited him in training camp, of course. But actually, until he injured his knee, he was playing reasonably well for a defense, playing reasonably well. and. We did the Bradley Chubb uh, story yesterday, so we need not revisit that today. But um, here's a fascinating sort of three strikes and you're out scenario for George Payton, the general manager. The Broncos in 2021, Payton's first year as general manager, were 18th in free agent spending at $64.6 million spent in free agency. 2021, this is. 2022, they jump up to seventh in free agent spending at $126.2 million. You know where I'm going with this. Yep. In 2023, they were far and away the biggest spender in free agency at $259.5 million. Now, the Gregory deal was made in 22, not in 23, but to go from 18th to 7th to 1st in free agent spending is not what even George Payton necessarily had in mind when he first took the job, and he said essentially, and I'm not going to quote him verbatim here, but he basically said, we will be a draft and develop organization, and every now and then, and that is a quote, Every now and then, four words that may come back to haunt him. Every now and then, we will dip into free agency or we'll make a trade. 
that every now and then turns out to be how the George Payton era will be defined. A terrible trade for Russell Wilson and free agent miscues left and right, the latest, most recent being Mike McGlinchey and Ben Powers. But Randy Gregory certainly belongs very high, if not at the top of that list of foolish free agent signings by the Denver Broncos. The Broncos, as you pointed out, now, as it stands today, and this is without Gregory, are the 12th oldest team on average, 26.71. So they're in the upper third, essentially, of the league when it comes to age and the oldest teams. Uh, obviously, some of this is pretty clustered together, but that's where they are. They're, they're 12th. The way these things flow together, they tend to correlate. If you see a team that is spending a lot in free agency, I will show you a team that doesn't have a lot of draft picks, first and foremost, and I will show you a team that is on the older side. That's These things go together. When you're signing free agents, those are veteran players. You're getting older. You're getting older players. When you For are signing part. free agents that are big names and you're yeah. spending, when you're in those top, when you're in that top 10 teams in spending, I can show you a team that probably doesn't have very many draft picks. Exactly. Because what you do exactly. when you can't fill holes in your draft, either by poor drafting or by not having the picks at all, is you have to dip into free agency to find starters. That can work at times. And most recently for the Denver Broncos, it did. In fact, it covered up some of the poor drafting of the Denver Broncos in the era in which Peyton Manning was the quarterback. And the it Broncos did. were able to spend money to get starters in part because Peyton Manning was there. Yes. And when he had played a full season, Denver never missed the playoffs. And they weren't getting aging guys. They were getting T.J. Wards and Aqib Talibs, people of that caliber. Uh, those people were in their primes. But that, that to an extent, was a effect. bit of a mirage because, yes, that's the Manning effect. There's not very many picks. As soon as Manning left, they sign. stopped getting that right. kind of quality, right. relatively young so free agent. If the Broncos sort of fooled themselves into thinking that was a model and thinking that Russell Wilson would be Peyton Manning and now we'll be able to yeah. spend our way and we'll get stars. Right. And quite frankly, it looks like they did think that would be the case because of the number of picks they gave away. The idea would be we'll land Wilson. Uh, we'll get a bunch of guys that want to come here, that want to play here because Russell Wilson's a playoff guy, right. and then we'll do what we did in the Manning era. But Russell Wilson is not Peyton Manning. And as a result, that strategy sort of failed. Now, here's where things get interesting to me, Sandy. I have been of the belief that Sean Payton, despite talking about the fact he'll be disappointed if they're not a playoff team, is fully aware that if you and I could look at this roster and say that's absolutely not a playoff team, that Sean Payton is aware it wasn't a playoff team. And I suspect early on he realized this roster's not good enough. Now, he also is charged by an ownership group that spent $4.6 billion to tell its fan base, there is still reason to buy season tickets and merch, everybody. Make sure you still, you know, hop in on the Denver Broncos bandwagon. So he has a sales job to do as well. But I don't think Peyton walked into this thinking I have that good a team. And this poor start, including, quite frankly, the win, in which I think has been rightly described as the worst team in football, handing a game over to a team that is either the second or third worst team in football, gave Peyton the excuse to start ripping off some of these Band-Aids. And I suggested in the summer, Sandy, that that could happen when I went over this. And I could, I'll do it later in the show of looking at all the big money guys on the Denver Broncos roster and saying, if they're not going to be on this roster 
by the time we're a contender again, then why are they on the roster now? Let's start getting guys that will be there and we're a contender again. And I think for Sean Payton, this slow start gives him the excuse to start doing that. And I think you're right. There could be trades coming. There could be more releases coming. Uh, The Broncos are not tanking. That's different. What they are doing, though, is you have a new sheriff in town in Sean Payton who was brought in to do well, things his way. Call it Jetsam and Flotsam. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and you've got to rid yourself of that before you can think about winning. And it, it's part of the Sean Payton philosophy. Before you win, you have to learn how not to lose. And learning how not to lose is eliminating self-inflicted errors. <laughs> Unforced errors right. is the tennis term. But uh, the Broncos have committed many an unforced error on and off the field over the past seven years to be sure, and perhaps for a longer period of time than that. And many of them can now be laid at the feet of George Payton, who as general manager in each of his three years has been part of a stretch in which the Broncos have lost now 19 of their past 25 games. That works out to a win percentage of 240. Randy Gregory, and that is, by the way, the only mark in the league that's better than Chicago's. <laughs> and everybody knows how bad the Bears have been right. in recent years. The Broncos are 30 tonight, by the way, in their last 25 games in winning percentage. Randy Gregory played 10 games. Out of a possible 21. Wow, what a shocker. Who could have ever He's guessed? played 60 in his entire career, which is now in his seventh season. He had three sacks in those 10 games. He had one sack this year in nine games, which is actually a half sack more than another apparent bust in free agency. Zach Allen has had through the first four games. He's been a bust. He's been a bust. He had a great preseason, but you know what? Usain Bass, he had a great preseason too. And I even ventured the opinion, and it was my own unforced error because I know better than to put much, if any, stock in a fringe player's preseason performance. Yeah. And I said, and you've been well-mannered and not bringing this up, <laughs> that I didn't think they'd miss Kwan Williams as much because Bassey had played so well during the preseason and at least in the short term could fill in as the nickelback. Even before Williams can return, Bassey is gone because, frankly, McMillan has outplayed him. And McMillan is a fringe player himself. That's how bad Bassey was. Benito replacing Gregory said more about Gregory. McMillan replacing Bassey said more about Bassey. And this is the problem with the Denver Broncos, that they continue to operate in the cycle of the quick fix. And some have mischaracterized the reaction to that Bronco philosophy as being strictly positive within the fan base 
but held with great skepticism by the media when, in fact, it's the other way around. The fans haven't bought the Broncos Act for at least the last five years. They don't buy it now. And it's the media, generally, that have fallen into the quick fix trap. And I must say, one of my favorite people, Mike Shanahan, an outstanding coach, I think many, many times, many more times than he should have, in his last three, four, five years, certainly, and maybe even a longer period of time than that, operated on the notion that the Broncos had won two straight Super Bowls. Yes, they had lost some key players, but they could bring in a Dale Carter and he would fix things. Right. And he only poisoned the locker room. Mm-hmm. You could bring in a Daryl Gardner and he would fix things. He only poisoned the locker room. People of that ilk, and it backfired on Mike Shanahan, who looked at the talent and didn't pay enough attention to the effect in the locker room. Now, I, I would mildly disagree with some of my colleagues in saying that Randy Gregory was cut mainly because he performed badly. But it is also true that he was cancerous in the same sort of way that Dale Carter and Daryl Gardner were cancerous. It's a good observation. Figures here. So, you know, I'm not, in, I'm not in the locker room every day, but it's easy to detect for those, including our own people here at Mile High Sports or around the Broncos on a daily basis, easy to detect that Randy Gregory was not a happy camper. And if it had been unhappiness due to his own poor play, I'd say good for Randy Gregory. But as usual with players, it's not that way. He's saying, well, the coaches have lost faith in me. My problems are their problems. They're not really my problems. Get him out of here. And uh, maybe they waited too long. I know that's been argued this week, uh, uh, both in print and electronically, I suppose. But he was beaten out clearly by Benito. Uh, Benito needs to play more, not less. Right. Gregory needs to play not at all. And now he is gone, so he can't play. Remember the scene in Moneyball where uh, – Billy Bean shakes up the roster and he goes down into Art Howe's office, the manager of the Oakland A's back in 2002, and the A's are floundering. So Billy Bean shakes things up and he goes down uh, to the manager's office and asks for a moment with Art Howe. And this is in the movie. I'm not saying this actually took place as the movie describes, but he goes in there and he tells Art Howe, you're going to play Hatterberg at first base and not Pena. Howe says, it's my lineup card. I'm playing Pena. Bean says, you can't play Pena. And, and this sort of exchange goes on for a few more seconds. And finally, Bean says, you can't play Pena because he's been traded. Right. Just just moved on. And, uh, oh, by the way, Jeremy Giambi, 
has been traded too. So you can't play him either. And the concluding remark from Bean to Howe is, Art, we can play this game all day. And he leaves the audience. Except this is inverted, where the coach of the Denver Broncos, Sean Payton, is the one making it clear to the general manager. Absolutely. Different set Tells of you where the power lies within the Bronco organization. And this is certainly at least one strike against George Payton, the Randy Gregory fiasco. The Broncos have at least an opportunity to improve their pass rush anyway. Benito had taken the starting job from Randy Gregory, and a significant member of the Broncos, at least one they're hoping to be, has his practice window opened. We'll talk a little bit about Baron Browning and what that might mean next on My Life Sports. No sugar tonight in my coffee. No sugar tonight in my tea. No sugar to stand beside me. No sugar to run with me. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Earlier in the season, Baron Browning was placed on the physically unable to perform list. He had knee surgery in the offseason. And at the time, the everything we had heard here is that he missed five games at minimum. They opened his 21-day window when he got back to practice yesterday, which means they have 21 days uh, that he needs to be activated within if they're going to go ahead and bring him off that list. John Payton, after practice yesterday, said with Barron, he's got the 21-day window, and we just want to be smart. These guys have missed a lot of football reps, training camp, et cetera. We'll go day to day. We have some goals, but we'd rather not get into those. Now, at the same time, by the way, just worth noting, you know, Justin Simmons, Josie Jewell, Frank Clark, Mike Purcell all got back to practice. The news on Browning, at least as far as, as as I've heard, it hasn't changed. Still, the expectation is he'd miss five games. He'd miss this game and, and the week after and then would be ready to go. And that doesn't seem to contrast with what Peyton said specifically either. You know, it's a 21-day window. They opened it up two of those three weeks and getting back into football shape and everything. And you, you could be back on the field. But... This particular week is fascinating because for the Broncos now, I think who the Gregory move is sort of maybe the canary in the coal mine that if they were to somehow lose to the Jets, maybe a lot of these moves get accelerated. Maybe start looking at a lot of guys that make money and start moving them for anything. I could see a situation where, you know, you keep hearing rumors about Carolina wanting to get a wide receiver. And yes, the first people, everyone goes, Jerry Judy, because you get a high pick. You wouldn't get a high pick, but, if you were to say, say, we'll take, oh, we'll get a fifth and get out of Cortland Sutton's contract. Would the Broncos do that if they lost this week? Yeah, I could see that. I could see those sort of things happening. This A loss would accelerate that process because I think Sean Payton, given the control he's given, now he's starting. To, you're starting to see him ring in his guys, Traquan Smith, the guy that, yes. know, that played for him in, in New Orleans, was signed and activated to the active roster today. Make of that what you will. Uh, Smith was with the Broncos in, in preseason and training camp. But this overhaul is going to continue happening. The question is, at what pace? And then it makes it very intriguing to see what the Broncos will do going forward because we know that the, that the defense 
the idea that Vance Joseph can do something to fix look, I, I'm not going to completely absolve Vance Joseph. It's his show. I get it. He's running it. He's taken responsibility. He's jumped in front of that. I don't think he's dodged it or pushed anyone else in front of the bus. But at the same time, we've watched these last couple games. Vance Joseph is not in meetings, Sandy, over the course of the week saying, well, guys, don't worry about tackling. Don't wrap up. If someone's running into space, uh, that's okay. You don't have to pursue. That, that's that's part of it. It's it's very easy, and it's part of that quick fix mentality that you talk about. And unfortunately for a lot of folks, the idea has been, and you're right, a lot of it's been in the media more than fans, that, oh, well, it's the defensive coordinator's fault. You replace him, it'll instantly get better. It won't because the mistakes the players are making are mistakes that players in college don't make, maybe even some good high schools don't make. Let, let, let's cut and to the issue. The presumption is that should be a baseline for professionals, and they're missing that mark. George Payton's people are easy for Sean Payton to get rid of. Sean Payton's Great people, way of, putting it. of whom Vance Joseph is one, are going to last a little longer, and they're going to get the benefit of the doubt that, rightly or wrongly, Randy Gregory and he sang Bassey and others of their type aren't going to get. He will be loyal to his people, the people he has hired, the people he has brought in, which, by the way, include Mike McGlinchey and Ben Powers, who have been atrocious. Someone had a great line, and it wasn't a writer. I think it was a post that I read. And I will pose this question to our listening audience, and to you, Sean. What was more embarrassing? Giving up 70 points to the Miami Dolphins or giving up 28 to the Chicago Bears? In some ways, I think giving up 28 to the Bears was almost as embarrassing, if not historic. I mean, it's a good line because there's a kernel of truth to it. Yep. That, that it is a, You have to think about it for a second. Because Miami's arguably the, the game Sunday in Buffalo, notwithstanding the best offensive team in the league. Yeah. And I would say so far this year, if you're looking at MVP candidates, two is right up there still. And among the candidates, let's say, for offensive player of the year in the NFL, if Tyreek Hill isn't the favorite, he ain't far behind. My offensive player of the year in the NFL through four weeks would be Christian McCaffrey, but Tyreek Hill would be right behind him. Let me. The Chicago Bears have no such player no. on their offense. The outstanding player in the Chicago offense is DJ Moore, and that is it. The wide receiver. He's terrific. He can burn teams other than the Denver Broncos. But everybody else, including the running back Herbert, who had big days, Justin Fields very much included. Don't play that way against anybody else except the Denver Broncos. And I think you will see tonight Herbert go back to being just a guy in Washington. And you will yeah, see Sam Justin Howell. Fields. No, no, I'm saying Herbert, the running back. Oh, cool, Herbert. Chicago, gotcha. Yes. He will go back to being gotcha. a non-entity tonight. Got it. He looked like a rushing champion on Sunday against the Broncos. He looked like a guy who could get 17, 1800 yards if he played against the Broncos every week. And my point is Justin Fields looked like an all pro. 
Let me against the Broncos. Parse that. But he's not playing the Broncos tonight, and we will see in Washington that Justin Fields will go back to having the same problems he was having leading up to the Denver game, and Herbert will be a non-entity. Uh, their only dangerous player is Moore, and I suspect Washington will be able to take You asked me away. which would be more embarrassing, and I, I, I will still contend it's the Dolphins because I not, would too, not only did you give but. up 70, you <laughs> could have given up 80. You could have given up whatever the Dolphins felt like scoring on you, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to split hairs. Here's why. It's not the 28 to the Bears. And I don't mean to disparage. 21 of which came in the first half. I don't mean half, to disparage. In the second quarter I, I, I get alone. It. I get it. I get it. I don't mean to disparage Justin Fields, who actually I, I liked quite a bit coming out of college and, and thought maybe he was being you know a little bit. The better Ohio State quarterback is the Stroud kid. In oh, Houston. well, goodness, He's yes. a better player than Fields. Justin Fields had never had a, he had one, pardon me, he had one three-touchdown game in his career. He threw four against the Broncos. Justin Fields in his NFL career had never had more than 291 passing yards. Right, never first, had a 300 First yard career 300-yard game. Right. 300, so he had, by far. Yes, by far. The best game he's yeah. ever had as a professional. And by the way, only one other game had he ever completed 80% of his passes, and that was with 10 fewer attempts right. against the right. Packers. So by any measurement whatsoever, you allowed a quarterback who at this stage in his career is being questioned of whether he's an NFL caliber starter. Exactly. You gave him the best game of his career in virtually every measurement by far. That is the most embarrassing part. Not the Bears, but the fact that you made Justin Fields look like a first-team pro bowler. And oh, there is a question around... Like the, yeah, you're, you're looking at a guy that around the league, people are wondering if he's even a starter. Right. And that's in back-to-back weeks. Yeah. Tua, on some level, you can understand. Tua's an MVP candidate right now. Right. And and for a good but part Justin of last year, he was, Fields, too. Come on. And, and you know, I, I happen I to like I don't Justin Fields. Care. Not as much as you yeah, do. I don't care But I like Justin is. Fields, and I hope he becomes uh, a very good starting quarterback in the NFL. I suspect it might not be in Chicago if that were to take place. He would be a very good quarterback for somebody else at some point. Um, it, it is sort of the, the dirty secret of the draft, right? I, if Justin Fields was, say, in Philadelphia, getting the coaching that Jalen Hurts is getting, I don't know if he'd be Jalen Hurts. Yeah. Of course, you, I and like I, Hurts. you and I really like Jalen Hurts. We, we both love Hurts. But I have no doubt that Justin Fields would all of a sudden look like a pretty promising quarterback instead right. of us throwing our hands oh, up in the air and saying, who uh, knows? You've got an offensive line, which right. he doesn't have in Chicago. You've also got That's a running That's the dirty little secret of the draft. Most of the time, he doesn't have. And it, it, it sometimes it's less about the actual talent you have and more where you end up. And, and that's the reality of it. True. But I, I don't care True. if you gave Patrick Mahomes, who's going to waltz into Canton one day, if you gave Patrick Mahomes his best ever completion percentage, the most yards he's ever thrown, and the most touchdowns he's ever thrown in a game, all in one game, that's humiliating. Even if that person's a Hall of Famer, when you give anybody their best ever game by a mile, that's bad. Yeah, that's and this right. follows that's right. a game in which they gave up 70. And losing Randy Gregory isn't going to make a difference there. What we have learned, apparently, is they have one, exactly one indispensable player on defense, and it's Justin Simmons. 
And in part, we talked. It would seem that we way. touched on it before. It Kwan Williams, way. remember that at times Justin Simmons has played the nickelback position, right? Without Williams, and then without the ability of Simmons to fill in in a pinch, it's been a real problem. Well, it was obviously Bassey played poorly, and McMillan is a, a fringe player. But no, I don't care who your defensive player. backs are. If you can't put pressure on the quarterback, and the Denver Broncos can't. You're not going to hang with today's you're, wide you're receivers. Exactly End right. of story. And uh, we know the Broncos this year have eight sacks. Well, now they have, among current players on the roster, seven because Gregory has yeah. one sack, right? Six and a half of the seven Broncos sacks have come from Nick Benito and Jonathan Cooper. Believe it or not. One, and the other half sack comes from One guy coming off the out. bench and the other guy basically becoming a starter because right. of injuries. Right. Mm-hmm. And Allen has the half, the half sack. sack. That's it. Those are your sacks right now. Half a sack for Allen, Benito, and Cooper combined for six and a half. The fact that That's you can just roll off in order the entire Broncos sack statistic by player, by memory, indicates it's probably not as deep as you need it to be. And, and the, the frustrating part about this, and we've, we talked about it all offseason, this wasn't new. We warned about this. We warned about this all offseason. I had taken the count of it and said, look, and this we counted with Baron Browning involved, that the Broncos projected starters had a grand total of fewer than 20 sacks on the whole yeah. in the best years of their careers. You know what I found? Uh, this isn't a roster that was going to get after the quarterback. I, it never was. Yesterday, in listening to Sean Payton, uh, someone, and I wish I knew who it was because I'd give him a lot of credit or her, uh, asked the question quite directly, and because it was direct, Peyton answered it. I actually thought he gave a pretty good answer. Basically, the question was, what's your involvement with the defense? What's your routine with the defense? And his answer, which seemed candid enough to me, involved him acknowledging that he's not sitting in on the meetings, really any of them. He does talk to Vance Joseph. They talk about packages. Uh, They talk about personnel. Uh, They talk about the game plan. He might make a few suggestions, and there was a follow-up question to that. Well, (laughs) Wouldn't you love to call plays against this defense? <laughs> I mean, can, can't don't you have Ouch. something to offer in terms of your play calling in saying, okay, this is what I would call against you. You've got to find an answer to that this week, next week, any week for this defense. And, yes, he gave some detail in his answer about his level of involvement I would say, assuming he was telling the truth, no reason to believe that he wasn't. Um, Boy, Vance Joseph has a lot of responsibility. Yeah. uh, As defensive coordinator. Now, he's not, he's, listen, he's not the equivalent of what Vic Fangio was as a defensive coach who had, no interest in offense whatsoever. It isn't that extreme with Peyton. But, and, and listen, Peyton even said yesterday, uh, 
you know, he was asked about the problems that he has to deal with every day that Bill Parcells warned him about years ago. He said, every week there'll be four or five things that come up that have nothing to do with football and you'll have to deal with them. He says, I'm not. I'm not surrounded by a lot of coaches who do what I do. Burning candles in the middle of the night into the wee hours of the morning. And yet, to me, that seems like that devotion to film study, it's 95 to 99% offense that he's studying. And yes, he consults with Vance Joseph, but Vance Joseph is one in charge of the defense and two Sean Payton's guy. And if Sean Payton were a defensive-oriented coach instead of an offensive-oriented coach, I think Vance Joseph would be gone by now. I really do. But Payton pays almost Mm -hmm. all his attention toward offense. It will be interesting to see how that shakes out, especially if this continues with the Broncos' uh, defense obviously is just disastrous. They are playing a not particularly good New York Jets team. However, that not particularly good New York Jets team looked like a competent NFL team last week, and they're coming into Denver. Like a pretty good team. The Broncos are favored by a number that you would not expect. Oh, and by the way, just as everyone warned, including Aaron Rodgers, way back uh, when he could play and everything, Coach Prime says they kept receipts. They're kind of expecting to collect this week, too. We'll talk more about the Jets' intent next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Well, this is your program, too. I always want to let you know you can contribute to the show. If you'd like, you can call or text at 303-831-1340. Danny Bailey going through some of those. And uh, what have you got, Danny? Yes, uh, one right here, gentlemen. Bottom line, Peyton was playing golf at Pebble Beach Tourney when all the better D coordinators were hired. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> I mean, uh, the 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 time. No, he did ask Vic Fangio. He did, and Fangio and, and he was no. rebuffed. Right. Yeah. And so I mean, no. and it appears. I think it right appears he said no because he thought it was too soon to come back here. He thought it would be awkward. It wasn't because he didn't want to coach with Sean Payton, but there were a couple of longtime Payton allies who turned down the job and basically mm-hmm. said, I can't keep your hours. I I just can't work. For and you. you had an interesting point, too, when you talked about how Sean Payton is spending that time. He's an offensive guy, mostly on offense. Right. The reason that Fangio, had it not been the Broncos, might have been intrigued is because Sean Payton is more than willing to grab a vacation. It's yours. Oh, it's yours. Uh, absolutely. Take it over. 
But what and Fangio, Daniels right, done that. But what Fangio found Daniels is one of the other head right. coaches who basically said the same thing. He's like, I'm, a, I'm on offense. You, you just take it and go. Now, obviously, it, it turned out to be a better fit you know, for him. Who, who's the coach of the year? To me, it's Kyle Shanahan. But right behind him is Mike McDaniel. And yeah. Nico Ryans of Houston is, is yes. number three for me. Those are the three guys at the quarter pole who I think are not necessarily the only coach of the year candidates, but certainly the top three candidates for coach of the year honors. Uh, I'll tell you what, that Houston team hasn't changed that much. They're playing a rookie quarterback. Ooh, scrappy. And the rookie quarterback looks great. And Houston plays energetic defensive ball. And they started slowly, but they've come on and, recent weeks and you're talking about a team if you're looking for a big surprise to make the playoffs in the AFC as surprise teams in the league go Houston's at the top of the list for me and don't, ahead of Tampa Bay don't actually. forget by the way back in February D'Amico Ryans was one of the guys the Denver Broncos really wanted to hire as their head but coach. But he did not want them. He did not want them. He thought they were a mess. And here was his quote when he was asked about the Broncos' interest in him back on February 2nd. Quote, we're thankful for the Broncos, but it wasn't a difficult decision to come to H-Town. <laughs> it was very easy. Well, that's, a, you know, that's home for him. And I it, it, that was like the, the situation with Kyle. But I Yes, mean, he interviewed here, but yeah. he was always going to San Francisco. Yes, Ryan's interviewed here. It is true that he was not impressed, but he was always going to Houston. There was never any doubt that he was going to Houston. Uh, And and he made the right choice, and they made the right choice in making sure, yes, they had some built-in advantages, but making sure, talk about giving someone power and control, he's got it, and he knows what to do with it. He is a terrific young coach, and... Speaking to Mike Shanahan earlier, um, on the practice field in uh, training camp a few years back when the 49ers were in, D'Amico Ryans was on that staff. Robert Sala was on that staff. And Shanahan spoke very, very highly of both. One will be the head coach on the other sideline on Sunday here in Denver, and the other is a coach of the year candidate. I I guess I would ask texters about the idea that, okay, it's Vance Joseph's fault, which is the easy, quick, fix solution. It's easy to say it's someone's fault. Here, here's my here's my challenge. Let us know what he should do differently. It's easy to say bad job. What would be the good job? Well, do you want do you, what do you do you want him to blitz more? Because he's already blitzing a lot. He's blitzing a lot. Do you want him to blitz less? Do you want him to be more aggressive towards the line of scrimmage mm-hmm. with the defensive backfield, I, or do you want him to back off more? What what would I, be happening I, different I, with the defensive you, coordinator? You can't have people even in zone coverage, playing down past the first. I think they're stretch. playing too you deep. You can't have. But you know why they're playing too deep? Because I think they're fully aware they don't have the requisite speed. But there's some. They know they don't have the speed for expecting them. Yes, that's, that's a big why. part of it. They're a slow team, and that isn't Vance Joseph's fault. Nope. But the expectation that they'll come up aggressively to tackle. And Vance Joseph was the one who did say our outside linebacker room, our edge rusher room is the best I've ever been in, Yikes. which is ludicrous. And you Let's know write what? Out the uh, Russell Wilson playbook of quotes, Zach Wilson, <laughs> I'm Zach Wilson. Zach Allen is letting Vance Joseph down 
But, you know, Vance Joseph might be letting Zach Allen down a little bit. This is Allen's worst start in all of his years in the NFL. This is the worst start. And, and, I'm, I'm, not and I'm not condemning and, Zach and Allen. That was, but, uh, but, but that was Vance Joseph's guy. And he lobbied very aggressively for Zach Allen to be brought mm-hmm. in, argued very aggressively that he was a better player uh, than uh, Draymond Jones. Draymond Jones. But his worst, I mean, like, he, he is not a better player than Draymond start Jones, for guys, first of all. Career-high sacks is five half, and a half. Half sack in four games. That, that's terrible. His high is five, five and a half. Point, career. Uh, well, Half sack in four games no, that, times four. That's my is that's my point sacks. is that it's it's, it's terrible. It's pretty bad when you're His talking about a guy that doesn't have high numbers because sacks aren't everything. Five point eight percent pressure rate is the worst of his career. It ranks one hundred ninety sixth out of two hundred eight defensive linemen and linebackers. In other words, there are twelve linemen and linebackers league-wide putting less pressure on the quarterback than Zach Allen does. That's it. 12. He's 196th out of 208. Draymond Jones isn't 196 out of 208. I don't know where he is exactly, but well, I'm guessing he's in the top 100 and maybe even in the top 50 when it comes to pressure rate. I haven't seen Seattle a lot. But every time I've seen Seattle playing on defense, I notice Draymond Jones, and I never notice Zach Allen. He hasn't exactly set the world on fire either. Draymond Jones has uh, exactly one He was one, good the other night. One sack. good the other night. Uh, ten, but a lot of pressures. Ten tackles in total. Zach Allen, 18 tackles in the, in the half I, sack. I know, but they, I'm talking about pressures I now. I know, but I'm talking but, about I don't, but I don't think it's been night and day. I I think there's well, been this presumption I, that I, Draymond I, Jones <laughs> also is kind of a player that may have the idea. Oh, he's just about to blossom. I think well, he I'm kind not of is. That. I think he just kind of I'm is. I'm just saying he he's a better player. And uh, you know, Zach Allen was the best player last year on a terrible defense. Vance Joseph was the coordinator without a lot of talent, but. I mean, you can't finish much lower than Arizona did last year. And Denver's number 32, you can't be any lower than that across the board in a variety of defensive categories. And people who know Vance Joseph and like him enormously say that, one, he's not a great motivator. Uh, As a communicator, he's okay. And with X's and O's, he's one of the worst, and these are people who like him. I, I, I'm not saying that they would be even an average defense with, oh, Vic Fangio as defensive coordinator. But when you're historically bad and you're given whether it's right or wrong, he didn't take it, I acknowledge that, but he was given considerable responsibility I I don't I don't know exactly what the defense for him is when when teams are finding it as easy to read their defense as they would a high school defense. It's it's so obvious. It's not disguised. There's nothing they do that bothers anybody. 
I know there are physical limitations. We've talked about it quite frequently. We knew this team had no speed and was the slowest, least athletic team in the league and perhaps one of the slowest and least athletic defensive teams in the league when people were saying, hey, it's the world's greatest defense. Multiple things are true simultaneously. Uh, Vance Joseph's not responsible for the fact that this team doesn't have significant speed. It's not his fault. He's not picking the players. Uh, did he lobby for Zach Allen? Yes. Did he get to hire him? No. It's not the snap without Sean Payton's blessing. At the same time, uh, we, we talked about this. Uh, <laughs> one of our, my favorite things, the, the time we've had shows together, both here and somewhere else, is we talked about a coach who has dealt a bad hand and then played, and played it poorly. It badly. And, and, that's that's, and that's what's happening he's been here. Dealt a bad hand, but he's, he's also playing it badly. it badly. Right. And that right. is a difficult thing to overcome. And it's a little bit of both. Over at Fox 31, Taylor Kilgore handling sports and does a terrific job over there uh, in the evenings and at the Colorado Sports Night. She joins us next on Miley Sports.